0: Most colleges are organized as a collection of academic silos. Many challenging problems facing society, though, are multifaceted. In this episode, we explore common problem pedagogy, an approach that allows students to address a problem from multiple disciplinary perspectives. Thanks for joining us for Tea for Teaching. An informal discussion of innovative and effective practices in teaching and learning.
1: This podcast series is hosted by John Keane, an economist,
0: and Rebecca Mushter, the graphic designer.
1: Together we run the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching at the State University of New York at Oswego.
0: Our guest today is Lee Allison Wilson. She is the author of two collections of stories, one of which won the Flannery O'Connor Award for short fiction. Her stories have appeared in the Georgia Review, Grand Street, Harper's, the Kenyon Review, Smoke Long Quarterly, the Southern Review, and elsewhere. She teaches creative writing at SUNY Oswego. In addition to the Flannery O'Connor Award, she has received the Saltonstall Award for creative nonfiction, And a Pulitzer nomination by William Morrow for her collection, Wind. She is a Missioner Fellow of the Copernicus Society and is a Henry Hoynes Fellow of the University of Virginia.
2: Welcome, Lee. Welcome, Lee. Thank you, John. It's very nice of you to have me. Today our teas are...
0: Ginger Peach Green Tea.
2: Mine is Constant Comment, a Southern favorite, which Lee brought for me to try, so that's what I'm drinking too.
1: So, Lee, you help organize a number of community-based projects that bring faculty together across campus. What got you involved in this kind of work in the first place?
2: Well, you know what? If I went back to the roots of it all, I have to say Amy Bartell in the art department. I have a flash fiction class that is my advanced writing class. And one semester, she just suddenly said, why don't your students write a very short piece? My students can illustrate it. And... We'll frame both things and put them side by side, and then we'll have a show, which was so much fun. But it wasn't just fun. It was my first taste of having a collaborative common problem project because it turned out to be a common problem. We didn't know it. We thought we were just writing our fiction, or I thought they were just going to be writing their fiction. But we've discovered that if there was going to be an illustrator paying attention to it, All of a sudden, it got more serious. The game got more serious. There was an audience who was really going to be checking it out, and there was also an audience that was going to be looking at the illustration and looking at their work at the same time. And all of a sudden, the students were much more professional about their attitudes to their work. So that's the beginning of it. That was called Graphic Flash, and we're still doing it. But now it's expanded into a film class is t- taking the stories and making short films out of it. And a music class is taking the short films and scoring them. And because now I like working with local partners, local high schools have been making movie posters for Great. The, the stories. So that expanded. And because of that expansion, I started getting interested in not just common projects that involved a common problem, but also collaborative projects in general. And the ease with which they could be expanded, which I think is one big factor in project-based learning. The first big project was the Smart Neighbors project, which is still ongoing. What happened was I was doing Smart Neighbors, and there was a notice from the provost's office. And there was a call for participants in a SUNY-wide grant. They wanted four SUNY schools to be involved in a common problem pedagogy grant. And at the time, they were trying to get a Teagle grant, which is an ExxonMobil grant. Mm-hmm. But the point of the Teagle grant was to get humanities to work with another discipline, usually a professional discipline. So that's why it began in that way. I wrote in, and SUNY Cortland and Oneonta and Plattsburgh were all involved in it. We all have different projects going on, but ours became the Smart Neighbors Project. Can you was, describe what that is for yeah. those that don't know? Basically, I have always, well, I love Oswego as a town, and I've loved living here, and I've always wanted to do something that could give back, but I'm a creative writer, and short of putting it as a setting in a lot of short stories, which I have done, that's not really giving back. I have always worried, since I've been here, about the economic difficulties facing any new business. This is a stat from a few years ago, but one statistic is that a new business in Oswego has a lifespan of about 13 months. And that's a terrible statistic. I don't think it's true anymore. I think there are great changes going on in town now. But I wanted to do something with the town. My concept for smart neighbors was to have a lot of different disciplines collaborate in the promotion of a downtown independent business. It was a simple concept because I didn't have elaborate blueprints for what they should be doing or what we should be doing. I had no elaborate plans for what each individual discipline should be doing. It should be promoting the business, period. And that's sort of continued to be how it is. People take it as they can imagine it. And so a lot of very imaginative things have come out of that, things that are not traditionally considered promotional materials, which in fact really are promotional materials.
0: What are some examples?
2: A literary citizenship class that Donna Steiner is working with, because they're mostly creative writers, they tend to do digital essays, but they're digital essays that often have a fanciful story involved in them. So if it's a bookstore, one digital essay took a book that the bookstore was selling, talked about the author, did graphics about the plot of it, and then ended up back at the bookstore. And so basically, you were interested in the book. And then it began to talk about how the imagination could be served by the bookstore. Another one in the same class, followed someone who bought a book to their home, took film clips and photographs of the person sitting where they like to read with all of their books around them, and just talking about what it meant to be able to walk downtown and buy a book and take it home and start reading it. So that was a nice little piece too. But not things that you necessarily are expecting or what an advertising agency would have put out. Mm
0: -hmm. And how have the businesses responded to this? Have they been using these materials in their marketing?
2: They have. One of the things that is a centerpiece is the banner. And the art students, the photography students, have been at the heart of that. And all of the businesses end up displaying. They're huge banners. They fill a whole wall. But all of the businesses have been using the banners. They love those. Also, every business nowadays, and this is one thing that we've been working with the businesses on, having an online presence. But that's one of the reasons there's so many digital projects involved because we want the businesses to be able to use them online. So the digital essays do get used online as part of their presentation to the public. And,
0: and how have the students reacted to doing something where their work is going to be more public? They're not just submitting something read by their instructor and their peers, but it actually may have an impact on some business in the community. Mm-hmm.
2: The impacts on our students are the impacts that I think they found across the country when dealing with applied learning, civic engagement, volunteerism, well, basically best practices in general. But number one, this is the thing that I'm most proud of, is that the students leave that program, even though it's one assignment in one course for most of them, it's not the whole course, but they leave having experienced that assignment with a sort of sense of social responsibility that I don't think they had before, or a notion of philanthropy. One of the things I tell them all of the classes. This year we had 11 classes from different disciplines. And we all meet at the beginning of the semester in Murano Auditorium. And one thing I told them this year is that we think of social responsibility as one thing and philanthropy as another thing. But really, I think what we should be doing in these places we love, like I love Oswego, is actually contributing our talents, not just our money, but we should be spending our money locally too, but, but also contributing our talent to these businesses. Even if we're a business owner, contributing to another person's business is something that I think we're obliged to do too, because the local success really is our own success. And we tend to think of businesses as competitive, but I think that's a mistake. I think smarter neighbors work Consumming. together in these collaborative ways. What are the biggest lessons that you've learned
1: from doing some of these projects?
2: Well, I should tell more of what the students got out of it, because I think other than just that sense of social responsibility and notions of philanthropy, they leave knowing much more clearly what they know and have learned in their disciplines and meta knowledge of what they're capable of, which is huge for our creative writers, because I don't think they're clear on the fact that they know they're probably not going to immediately get the Pulitzer, but what can they do with this? And it's important for them to learn that. That they can write for multiple audiences in multiple mm-hmm. ways. But they also learn what other disciplines know and can do, which they haven't thought about that deeply. It's a mystery to them what, for instance, the marketing students do. They market things, maybe it's advertising, something like that. But then they see them come in and actually take the business that they've been working with and figure out a plan for them and how the college itself can be moved into that plan. And suddenly, oh, I can work with that. And they start thinking of digital essays they could work with and imaginary stories that take that marketing plan and actually enact it with characters, which they're good at imagining and professional skills, just getting somewhere on time, being late or on time to a class seems less important. But if the interview that you needed to have and you're late for and you can't now have it, that makes an impact forever. You tend to be on time for an interview and they do have to interview the local partners preparation. They get there, nobody's going to be telling them what to do. They have to figure out what they need to know and they need to find it out. So they need to plan before they get there. I personally am very happy with my students learning what it means to write for a particular audience as opposed to whoever they want to. It's very good for them to try to please a certain person with a certain product. Because it's usually an audience that they wouldn't have picked or imagined on their own. That's right. right. That's right. And my point would be that even when they're writing their great American novel, they should be expanding their notion of what audiences they're hitting. Instead of just, this is what I want to read, they need to think about what their vision of the world is and how to pull as many people into it as possible. And I just think it's memorable to them. I think it's life-changing to them to work, however briefly, donating their time to a place that at least for a while they're calling home. Excellent. But I think there are things that the faculty learn, too, not just the students. There are faculty outcomes, I think, as well. My whole idea in Smart Neighbors was to just get faculty's feet wet with one assignment in one class. And if you can do that, once they see the effect on students, because that's one thing I really do believe about the faculty here. They really are committed teachers. Now, sometimes you worry about How time-consuming is it going to be to work with another class as other disciplines? How time-consuming is this or that? Because we're already putting a huge amount of time into our teaching. So it seemed smart to get faculty accustomed or introduced to collaborative or civic engagement or applied learning kinds of pedagogies in the easiest possible way. So one assignment, and not an assignment that necessarily requires interactions with a lot of other faculty to figure out how to do it. Now, I will say for smart neighbors anyway, the faculty do have to to connect with the local partners, but they don't necessarily have to figure out what everybody's doing in all of the classes to make it work. They have their piece of the puzzle, and they're contributing it.
0: How many classes work with a particular business? Are there multiple businesses that they're working with, or is it just one business each year?
2: Well, it's grown. The first year, we had four classes, and they were working on the bookstore. The and mm-hmm. Bookstore. Tell me your question again. Really asking whether or not there's more than one community partner at
1: any given time.
2: Yeah. Yes. I think what you're asking is a good question because once you get to a certain number of people of courses, not people but courses, mm-hmm. you're overwhelming a local partner. Mm-hmm. And we got to that quickly last year. We worked with a candy store, and I think there were seven different classes involved, and an unbelievable generosity of time from that owner. But it was clear that we were going to have to figure out other ways of doing this. So last year, we did the farmer's market. We had 11 courses involved, too. And that worked out much better because there are multiple farmers bringing their goods to the farmer's market and they're in different groups with different farms. So that worked out a little bit better. Also, because the Chamber of Commerce is ultimately responsible for the farmer's market, we were able to do some projects just for the, the chamber. For instance, they needed a new logo, and we sort of pulled that into the Smart Neighbors project as well. So I'm trying to define what we're doing a little wider, and you're right, have more local partners. If we're going to have this many continue this Right. Many it clients. sounds
0: like it's grown really quickly.
2: Really has. And I will just say, again, I think the faculty discover that there's a certain ease of practice and getting used to this. And once you see the students and the effect on the students, then I think you're hooked. And the reason it's grown is that the courses who have done it in the past continue to do it. They want to keep doing it. And that is how I got the idea for Grand Challenges. seems like a nice segue right into it, right? (laughs) We're launching
1: the Grand Challenges. Can you talk a little bit about what the Grand Challenges are and what the goals are?
2: There's a line in our strategic plan that's my favorite line, and I think it's the most memorable line, and it talks about how we as a community are going to tackle the grand challenges, find solutions to the grand challenges of our time. And I love it because it's aspirational, for one thing. I really do want to believe that our students and our faculty can tackle the grand challenges of our time, and I think we can, frankly. But it's also that notion of tackling a challenge is very project-oriented. You get your hands dirty, you figure out something, and then you try to come up with solutions because of it. And so it appealed to me just in terms of having a common problem. But those grand challenges have to be tackled together. I mean, I don't think there's any challenge of any size in the complexity of our world today that can be done by a single person just sitting in their garage thinking, I think almost everything we do in the future is going to have to be collaborative and probably cross-disciplinary in some way. So it just seemed to me a natural segue from smart neighbors to getting the whole campus to work on a single—it's not really a single issue either. It's more—we were talking about this, Rebecca—I imagine the topics for Grand Challenges— to be very concrete things. Because I think as academics, we tend toward a more abstract way of looking at things. Which is particularly hard for our students to get their heads
1: around. They need something tangible.
2: Right. I think so too. And and to come up with projects, actual projects that are going to take place in the world with local partners or involving civic engagement or volunteerism require a certain concreteness. Mm -hmm. So at any rate, the Grand Challenges project was just something I began to think, the notion of having multiple disciplines work on the same thing, it's just a short step to getting the entire campus to work as much together as possible on the same topic. One of the things I didn't say about Smart Neighbors is that Oswego is already a very collaborative culture and that we're very far along in terms of faculty tipping into these kinds of projects very easily. Mm-hmm. And I've found just talking across campus, the way, for instance, when I spoke to Faculty Assembly and the reception there was so astonishing. People aren't resisting it out of hand. It's just such a pleasure to work with people who are willing to take on these new things without immediate misgiving. At any rate, as you know, the topic that we're working with this year is fresh water, which is concrete but also can involve a lot of sustainability. But fluid, too. But fluid too. Very funny, <laughs> <Okay>. John. <laughs> but one of the things that I like about that particular topic is that you can look out any window on campus, freshwater is exactly what you're looking at, and that it should matter to us makes sense to me. But to go back to the teaching culture here, I have found when I talk about this to any group of faculty, immediately ideas are popping, they're thinking about it, they're talking about it, they've clearly already thought about it, the Grand Challenge doesn't really even begin until the fall of this year. And I've got a list, I brought with me a whole list of a couple of dozen projects that people are already doing right now, this semester. Just in preparation because they can. for this? Not only in preparation, just let's begin. Why wait <laughs> till the fall? I've spent the last week finalizing the touches to a microgrant. grant Provost's office has, thank goodness, very gallantly, is going to put some money in a pot. To give some grants to people to do these collaborative works. Well, let's just put it this way: even if you're just doing an assignment in your class, you can put in for one of these grants. But I think we're going to privilege probably the collaborative civic engagement projects, or they'll get the higher money amounts mm-hmm. just because there are more people involved. The administration on campus has just been so supportive. Provost office is doing the micro mm-hmm. grants, student affairs. Has, I can't talk about it because the contracts haven't been signed, but they've got people who are well-known coming to speak on campus.
0: There's going to be some other programming throughout That's right. the college as That's well. right.
2: Artswego has a special category for its grants this year that are going to privilege some grant talent proposals. What I like about that concept is that the learning doesn't just
1: happen in a classroom on a mm-hmm. college campus. It's happening from multiple perspectives, and it's happening in and out. It's happening formally and informally. That's so right. It's nice that there's a lot of systems in place to help support that. And that idea, because if students are experiencing the topic of water in a lot of different disciplines and outside of class, then they're going to start seeing how all of these things connect together. That's right. And we have general education as a part of our curriculum, mm-hmm. as many colleges do, and the students tend to not have any idea how that is relevant or important <laughs> yeah. or what that does for them. And I think this might be a really great way for them to start seeing that all these things are actually connected. And it's important to know mm-hmm. different points of view and different disciplinary perspectives mm-hmm. on things so that there is that mm-hmm. idea that we can't tackle these really big problems without looking from our perspectives. Yeah.
0: And faculty are often in their own silos and students Mm -hmm. see their classes Mm -hmm. as separate islands that are not connected in any Mm -hmm. way. And showing that we can look at the same issues broadly from a number of different perspectives might help them form better connections and deepen their learning.
1: And even continue to update the curriculum to reflect this change in practice. So it's a move away Mm -hmm. from silos to things being a little more messy. And so how do you allow mm-hmm. for your curriculum to embrace that messiness?
2: I think you're exactly right, Rebecca. And I, for one, think the future, it might not be in our generation, but the future really will be a future that doesn't necessarily have departments, doesn't necessarily have disciplines separated in this way, that in fact encourages cross-disciplinary activity. I think the School of Communication, Media, and the Arts is already sort of moving towards that. They're a very collaborative school. And, and and work very well, That just in my experience doing these projects, they work very well across campus with any discipline. Go West <laughs> I on am then. on the board. Let's it's say. because of that that I have to be on their advisory board, yeah. frankly. But, yeah, I think the beauty of, of Grand Challenges is that we're already a collaborative school, and this just puts the name on it. It puts a focus for that, and it's something I think we really ought to be celebrating here. And to get back to the administration being supportive, the president from the beginning has been behind this. And I think that really more than anything has been one reason for this to be a successful rollout. Are there plans to research or study the
1: outcomes of the initiative and to measure what impact doing something like this has on our learning community and or on the community at large?
2: Well, one of the things that I hope from these micro grants is because they have to give the proposal at the project proposal and give what they hope the outcomes will be, and then when they do their final reports, what they think the outcomes really were. I'm hoping that that will be the first step toward being able to assess some of the things going on. It's more difficult in the general population. One of the things I'm reluctant to do is add a layer that makes people hesitant to get their feet wet with these pedagogies. But I think just once this gets going, I think it will become easier and easier to get people to assess for what the outcomes are. To be honest, I think it's so night and day what the students get out of these best practices that the faculty will want to start assessing and seeing what these outcomes are and what it means in their classroom.
0: In an earlier discussion, you mentioned that your work with the Digital Oz Project grew out of your work with the Smart Neighbors Project. Could you tell us a little bit about the Digital Oz Project and how it relates to your work with Smart Neighbors?
2: Oz is a presentation, online presentation site for SUNY Oswego students' digital work. One of the things that occurred to me after doing Smart Neighbors is that these collaborative efforts on campus are here and gone tomorrow because there's no place to archive or curate the materials that the students produce. And so Oz has become a space where the collaborative work can actually be Presented, the students are doing such amazing work. It's great that Digitalize exists so that the students can have some sort of public presentation.
0: Could you describe Digitalize a little bit for listeners yeah. who may not be familiar with it?
2: One of the things that I've always liked about Oswego students is that they have authenticity that is almost indescribable. But once you see them tell a story, you feel it instantly. And so I think because our students all have these stories, it'd be nice if we had a site that had them tell them. So we created Digital Oz, and it has different categories. One category, the students talk about how they ended up being passionate about what they're passionate about here, whether it's their discipline or some sort of co-curricular activity that they do. And what's the story behind that? How do they become passionate about it? And there's some amazing stories there. Students who, for instance, work as EMTs on the ambulance service on campus have some unbelievably touching stories about why they care about being able to go to somebody and and help them. But there's another category that's called moments that change their lives, the students' lives, and they talk about them in very moving ways as well. But one of the categories, as I said, is collaborate, and students who have worked together on projects put artifacts that they've created for those projects online, and those two are I guess you don't realize the range and creativity and professionalism of our student work until you start seeing it put together in in the same place. And loss. since we're talking about it, I'll just say it's digitalaws.oswego.edu is the website if you want to look at it. But it's a place I think high school students look at and feel like they can have a home here.
0: Excellent. And we will share that link in the show notes.
1: Thank you. So usually we like to end with, well, what are you going to do next? You've got, you've got underway, giant, you got know, you got this big giant. You got this big giant project. Mm-hmm. What's down the road a little
2: bit for you? Well, I really do think that the grand challenge is as grand as I'll probably get. Because <laughs> I don't know how I can get grand, the very unless, grand challenges, super grand challenges. <laughs> <laughs> I know it'll be like Mario. But one of the things I, I'm talking to the woman who's in charge of applied learning at. SUNY Central. And I'm going to talk up the grand challenges just because I think it really is a harbinger of what the future is going to be, not only in terms of what you do in collaborative ways or best practices, but also in what it's going to ultimately mean for what the shape of the university is. So I guess I'm not going to become a traveling advocate across the campuses across SUNY, but I really do think this is where the future is headed for higher ed. I hope so anyway, I do. Great. Well, thank you so much for
1: sharing what you've been working on, Lee. I think thank everyone you. will uh, thank you for continue to me. be inspired.
2: It's a
0: great series of projects.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, you guys.